So we are post-show. We just had a talk back. It was a great show, by the way. It, it was, I'm going to bring you in as a ringer for all Welcome back to Radical Listening, the Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their work. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtz-Noggle. So today we're actually going to be airing a backstage interview that is kind of a part two to uh, the Found Dog Ribbon Dance. We talked to the playwright, Dominic Finucchiaro, um, and we had a great conversation with him. And it's just been a piece of secret content that we're finally going to give you guys. It's a wonderful interview. If you saw the show and you want to know more about how he developed it and you know what was on his mind when he was creating it and things like that, this is definitely a really worthwhile interview to listen to. Absolutely. Um, I, I was in the show and... The things that he said about the show were not even some of the things I had not even considered. And I was like, wow, that, you know, it's 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 amazing how, you know, how many viewpoints there are when you're putting together a show like that. And then to hear like the original writer's viewpoint about things is it, it just really cracked a lot open for me. Yeah, I mean, I really I really enjoyed talking to him. I think he's a very smart person and um, I'm glad to finally be able to share this with you guys. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to check in with Philip Cuomo, who is the co-producer of Radical Listening and the artistic director of Coho Productions in Northwest. And um, he has a couple updates that he wants to share with you guys. It's been a while since our last episode with the Pike Blind folks, and it's been a while since I've even been in a theater. Yeah, it's been um, probably maybe two or three months since I've been actually physically in a theater. Yeah. What was the last thing you saw? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, right? I honestly Pipeline? think the last show I saw was Pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you count being in Found Dog Room and Dance. Um, I think that was the last show I saw. Other than the pre-pandemic uh, third grade performance of their uh, musical Vanport, which was really wonderful. I'm, I'm teaching at an elementary school right now, and we had to pull together something because the third graders show was scheduled to go up um, like a week after they closed down for the pandemic. So we had to do a last minute, get everyone in the same room and see the piece of work that they made. And it was really, really beautiful. So That's awesome. That was probably actually the last piece of theater I saw before all this because that was March 16th. Yeah. Um, or March 13th, March 13th, Friday the 13th was the last day that anything was normal for me. So, wow. Um, but we're finally but back. We are finally back. And I think this is a great time to continue the conversation about theater and performance because we can't go and see it right now. And there are so many people in our community who are actually making work right now. Uh, artists have been spending a lot of their time in different ways and people have been finding new outlets for their creativity. I know a lot of people who have been trying new things, a lot of people break, baking bread, you know, and a lot of us artists are unemployed now and have a whole lot of time. Uh, so we got to do something so we don't turn completely inward. That's true. Um, so please keep listening. We're, we're coming back to give you new content. We'll try and get as many new episodes uh, for the summer as we possibly can, talking to all different types of people, uh, maybe even some people who are non-theater makers. We will just see it's a matter of who we can find, who will, is willing to jump on the show and, uh, and talk to us. And, and we'd love to hear from you if you have ideas of people you'd like to hear on the podcast. We finally 
launched our social media. So we have an Instagram at Radical Listening Podcast and a Twitter at RL Listening Cast, um, the letter R, Listening Cast. Uh, we'll be posting some behind-the-scenes photos, announcements about upcoming guests, tips on upcoming shows whenever that happens again. And, uh, I mean, probably memes, right? Definitely memes. Definitely memes. Uh, so, yeah, we'd l- those would be great places to hear from you. We want to listen to you as you listen to us. We think of this as a two-way street, so that would be great. And let us know if you've been seeing anything good on the Internet lately, too, or um, people we should be looking out for. Uh, in that respect. Definitely, because I think it'd be great to use our social media to kind of repost and share work as well as interview guests. So we definitely want to be an avenue for people to share their work and promote their work. And And you can also reach out to us at our email address, which is radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com if you've got anything you want to let us know about. True, exactly. And in fact, I'd like to announce right here on our show... That if you have a good headline, please send it to our email at radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com. And all of the good ones we will share with our guests and we will start, you know, great discussions about the things you send us. If you'd like your name to be shared as well, you can attach that or some sort of alias and we'll use that as well. Um, we all know that the deepest part of the show is headlines. So we need all of your very serious headlines. All the true radical listening fans know about <laughs> headlines. Um, yeah. Absolutely. All right. And so with some further housekeeping, we now bring in to our conversation, artistic director of Coho Productions, Philip Cuomo. How are you doing? Good. Thanks, Phil. Hi, Clifton. Hey, how are you doing, Philip? Okay. Okay. Things are a little crazy. Everything's on <laughs> hold um, because of COVID-19, obviously, but... Um, uh, things are starting to look up and we're hopeful that we're going to get our 25th anniversary season announced pretty soon. We wanted to have announced it by now, um, of course, because it's May already. And we try to announce at the end of March and we were so close to announcing just before (laughs) everything went a little crazy, but we've been working, um, uh, was making some contingency plans so that we m- might be able to show and present our season, at least the beginning of our season, even if we're not allowed to open our theater to full capacity. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, you guys know that the, the theater is tiny, right? It's 95 seats, but it's the stage yeah. is in and among those seats. And so we're concerned that with social distancing, that we're just not going to be able to open. And we're hopeful that there might be some um, uh, sort of middle ground where we might be able to open to a small audience and have 20 to 30 people come to see a Mm. a problem a project and spread them out in the audience, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, We did pick the first two plays in our season with an idea of, um, of having some flexibility in how we share the content to our patron base and um, Portland in general. The first piece is going to be a, a one woman 
um, cabaret with one or two musicians. And so it's not a very large um, production group. And we are planning to, at least we are, we're doing the research on um, getting some professional grade camera and audio equipment to turn the small intimate room we have into sort of a um, broadcast room and stream a live performance um, across social media in, in various platforms. Oh, wow. So that's, that's pretty amazing. amazing. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at the, the cost of it, right? Obviously something like that is a little bit expensive, um, but we think it could be something that would be a benefit in the long term, even when things quote get back to normal unquote. And we are back operating Coho the way we've operated Coho for the last twenty four years um, as a sort of a a, a, a little hot box of um, intimate performance um, with people really close, shoulder to shoulder. But we could, at that time, if we are back up to the way we used to operate, we could stream one or two performances of every project um, to reach a broader audience, to share uh, the content with more people, and also um, turn some of the recorded content into some kind of short films or like in the golden age of television, you know, the, the way the... Um, old um, TV was, was done in, in the beginning, they were sort of like shooting live plays. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're looking into stuff like that just so that we don't, um, that, that, that Coho remains operational even if we can't open fully. So that's our biggest um, criteria now is, is, or our biggest concern, my biggest concern is, is how to how to bring programming um, to people. How do we gather together in uh, a different in a different world? Yeah, because theater is so much about that connection with people, and I've been learning that in trying to teach theater to kids, in trying to come up with things that they can even do by themselves. You know what I mean? Theater is such a collaborative experience and so figuring out a way that you can bring that aspect into it is also very important i think yeah it, yeah. it, it seems like a great opportunity for theater to begin kind of an evolution into the technology world that we all live in yeah the thing that like uh, clifton is pointing to about the collaborative nature between artists um is is a key component of it and um also the um immediacy and spontaneity that exists between those who are watching and those who are performing. Absolutely. That's the piece that I'm most concerned about in regards to um, adding technology and um, recording um, stuff. And I'm, I'm super excited, um, Phil, about the experiment of, of, of what this bridge is going to be between the way theater was shared pre-pandemic and how theater is going to be shared as we go forward. And can we, in some way, create that sense of immediacy and um, proximity between those viewing at home or viewing on a computer or viewing 
somewhere else to the thing that is actually happening right in front of them. Yeah. Have a Zoom intermission lobby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there's been a lot of um, content being uploaded uh, to to social media platforms. Um, Some Mm -hmm. of it, very, very high quality stuff like the uh, National Theatre of London are, you know, live streaming for free their NT Live programming. Um, and so there's a way that I'm not, and Coho's not trying to um, add to the, I want to be careful about adding to the glut of stuff that's out there and really um, target the projects that we are sharing, which is why that the, this first show, this one mm. woman, this cabaret that we're going to do, um, it's it's called um, From These Streets I Rise, and um, Mickey Jordan is the uh, performer and creator of the piece. And which she uh, she's a social worker, and she has worked with the houseless population. And she created a cabaret a, a year and a half ago called the People's Cabaret, in which she interviewed um, folks from the houseless community and then put their stories into this one performance. And she's going back now the next couple of months to chat with those folks she had worked with two years ago to see how they are responding to the pandemic um, and mm-hmm. being Bob being homeless. And then, so that's the, that's the project that we're going to open our 25th season with. And that's a project that really um, is relevant content and is intended for a specific, um, to, to give a specific group of people a platform for their story to be told. So we're, I'm not sure how we're going to deliver that content streaming to people who are homeless. However, um, uh, we're going to, we're, we're, that's part of our work over the next six to eight weeks is to generate enough context and con contacts to organizations that are working with with folk and and so maybe um stream in small um in small venues uh to to you know in certain shelters and things like that around town um at least that's what we're talking about right now um it's a little blue sky because you know everything's up in the air (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well, thanks for coming on and, and updating us all for on what's going on with the season and kind of getting us energized. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I really feel like I have not been quite as in touch with the uh, Portland arts and cultural um, patronage as I'd like to be, you know, and, and co-o audiences. And so to have another way to say hi to um the coho folk is, is is really great and i'm very appreciative absolutely yes bye so we're um, we're on stage after the show why don't you introduce yourself and just uh talk a little bit about um the play itself and just kind of uh where you're working and what you're working on right now yeah uh, my name is dominic fino chiaro um I'm a playwright. I went to uh, to school out here in, in Portland, uh, but now I'm based out in Brooklyn, New York. And I've been working on this play, the Found Dog Rebbe Dance, for about um, six or so years. Um, 
It had its first uh, professional production uh, three years ago out in L.A., but this is the Northwest premiere, and I'm really excited to to bring it back here since it's a, a play very much about the Northwest and to sort of bring it to Portland where, you know, my family lives now and where I went to school is a, is a, is a great honor. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome play. You, you talk about intimacy a lot, and it seems like you are focusing on, like, touch and, and uh, companionship. And what sparked that? Like, how did the play... Um, start for you? I mean, I think in general I'm interested a lot in, I like to call it like the anatomy of loneliness and kind of on a thematic level stories about people desperately uh, in search of connection and kind of disconnected from the world and, and kind of reaching out for connection and maybe succeeding or maybe failing, but just kind of documenting the ways in which kind of lonely or isolated people uh, search for for. A way to change that and so I think that was a big part of it also I mean theater is such a, is a live medium right that's what makes it special and what makes it different than film or TV or these other also great uh, mediums is theater is about bodies in the space in the room with you having an experience in the moment an ephemeral experience and so I think for me that idea of intimacy and of kind of physical touch and of bodies in, in, um, in space together it felt like something that can only be done in a certain way in the theater and, and, and give the audience that experience of the kind of viscerality of these people's searches for connection. Yeah. No, no I, I hear that. And there was a question that actually came up about um, duration during the post-show talkback, and I found it really interesting because it definitely felt like you were creating a, a situation for our audience and the actors on stage to all experience intimacy together for these prolonged moments. Um, I thought that was very clear. Now, I, my question is, with the ribbon dance kind of juxtaposed to this, what was the what was the seed for that? What did you want us to experience someone else's isolation, or how did that come about? Yeah, I think the ribbon dances work on a number of different levels. On one hand, right, it's about this this man's sense of joy and sense of private joy and kind of uh, openness, right, that is juxtaposed with Norma's kind of more generosity, but also more kind of restricted um, vulnerability. So this, this this is a man that is so fully um, kind of alive to 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 joy and to and and dancing is such a, a joyous right um, expression of that. And so I think that was part of it. But also, I think um, there is something about I like dancing on stage and is similar to like to singing on stage and I like uh, experiences events that actors can do that they can't fake right and so like um, and I like the kind of watching like the idea of the non-professional kind of not purposefully bad but perf purposefully unstudied person um, I think there's a real aliveness to that and a real vulnerability and like so in, in the other play of, of mine that we did this year Complex um, you know, there's these karaoke s sequences that is again forcing an actor to to make themselves vulnerable and uncomfortable, and 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 f and then bringing them closer to the audience in that way. And so I think the ribbon dances for me function a little bit like that. And we want the actor that's playing Norm to to commit to it and do it fully. But also, we're very aware this is not about some some Broadway swing performer that's doing. You know, it, it's about watching someone try and and flail and give their their all in this room with us. I think that's part of it. Awesome. 
Hey, Dominic, how you doing? Good to see you. This is Clifton, your other co-host, sounding different because I'm a horse. I'm also playing dog in this show. So I had a few questions for Dominic, specifically about the dog, um, because I've been so much in that world <laughs> for a little while now. Um, the dog seems to be like a really, really strong metaphor for something, and I'm still like trying to figure out what that is, but I haven't been trying to put a whole bunch of emphasis on knowing what that is for me, for for Norma, but it, it's, it's been a question for me for a long time, and I know that um, people could really take what they want um, from the show, but I was wondering if you had some specific metaphor in mind with the character of the dog. I mean, not incredibly specific, but I mean, I think, well, for one thing, I'm, I'm a huge dog fan, so I just love, mm -hmm. I love dogs, and I think there should be more dogs in, in plays of one form or another, but I think it's that idea, right, of the way the intensely intimate um, and vulnerable relationships we have with pets and dogs being kind of in many ways the epitome of that mm -hmm. um, but also this sense of, of pet ownership potentially being something that we can put a lot of emotion and feeling into in the same way that we would a relationship right but also there's we don't actually have to mm -hmm. open up in the same way and so I think Right, like a, a, a dog asks to be like loved and to be given attention, sure. fed, you know, taken out. Right, but a dog is not gonna force you to be vulnerable and to talk, you know, and to, right. to yeah. and, and I, so I think that idea of, of, you know, Norm being a character that in many ways is dog-alike, right, and that he has this child, yeah, yeah. childlike naivete and he's very kind of, he, there's something a little, um, he's, a, he's kind of like a big puppy dog, but that idea of, and maybe that's what attracts Norma to him is that he seems simple or he seems like it's right. a, it will not be a complex relationship right but the idea of by the very nature of it being a human to human relationship he asks things of her and he forces her out of her comfort zone and he he needs things from her that a dog doesn't need and that sure, is yeah. eventually hopefully being you know uh, sustaining but it, but in the process of Norma's journey being very terrifying and so I think again that dog is the idea of of that dichotomy perhaps sure it's like you can put the dog away, but yeah. you can't put the human away, you know? Because I, I felt that a lot. A big part of it for me was, like, not liking being put away and taken out of the room. And it was like, I, I realized how much of a big part that was, and I, I think that was what kind of spoke to me, too, is like, okay, some of your problems you can put away, and others of them you have to work through with people. <laughs> and you can put onto a, a dog, like, you can imagine what they're thinking, what they're communicating, right? And you see that in all the different characters with relationships with the dog, the different people that are coming in and seeing it, right? There's, you can really assume or project a lot onto an animal that yeah. you can't really do with a person. Because <laughs> yeah. the person will be like, no, you're wrong. You're like, no, that's <laughs> not what I mean. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying, right. you know, and so there is a safety there mm -hmm. um, that is still obviously, still incredibly enriching experience to have a, uh, but um, but it's not as complicated an emotional experience, sure. and so I think it's like the dog maybe is like the starter experience for Norma that maybe allows mm -hmm. her, you know, forces her into these other experiences, and also f allows her maybe to, to take that next step into an experience of a m vulnerability with with Norm. Cool. Um, and I just had one more question about the writing of dog, and you know, being a person with a dog shirt on and saying bark. Um, I, it was it was interesting because it came across to me at first almost like 
ironic, but then I realized dogs are not ironic creatures. You know what I mean? They're fully there. And so it took a whole new life when I really started to realize what being a dog was like. And so I, I was wondering uh, where that came from, the idea to like have him just say bark, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's about, again, this idea of the relative theatricality. Like I think having a person on stage like, you know, in a dog costume or, or not in a dog costume, but fully, you know, behaving like a dog. It's, it's kind of fun and like it's, yeah. it's virtuosic to see, but like, you know, that's, it's, it's kind of, it feels a little one dimensional. So mm -hmm. to me, I was interested in, in having someone that, that obviously that is a dog and, and, and we get it, but that we're not, we're not like distracting you with all of this. Oh, see the person <laughs> sucking his tongue out and, and, you know, and, and doing all this stuff. It's not, it's not, it's about kind of actually just being like, it, we're in a, in a theater and this is all make believe. And this is not a movie where it's not realistic. We know that none of this, you know, so we're just going to tell you this person's a dog and you have the shirt in case you forget. And like, and you're going to kind of agree to this kind of, uh, uh, uh this, contract right and I think hopefully there being a different kind of theatricality that comes out of that and also comes out of that at the very beginning being like well, this is the kind of play it's going to be like mm -hmm. like there's a dog but it's not a real dog and it's not <laughs> a person in a dog suit this is you know we're we're about what's actually you know what it actually means you know to be a dog or we're actually about what, what's really at stake for these people and and so I think in that way um and never forgetting right that we're they were watching a play, so like the, the, this, the, the tossing of the ball, right? They, like the idea, like it really wants to feel like two people tossing a ball, mm -hmm. and so we really uh, reminding the audience of of that like slightly alienating effect. I think has has a potential benefit for when we get into the real juicy emotionality because um, it's, it's a different experience for them. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thanks because I worked on Complex too, as you know, and the, these two characters have been two of the most interesting characters yeah. I've gotten to play before. You know. The, playing the noise musician, got to do things on stage. I really appreciate that style of putting real things on stage, got to play around with some stuff that I was interested in. And then this one, to get to do a whole show without having to say anything, is great not to learn lines, but also it was one of the hardest roles I've ever played because I came in and I was like, whoa, okay. It's a dog, but it's a human, but it's a dog. Where's the line and, and, and you know, what's this like? And so it was a completely new experience of approaching a play. So I, just, I appreciate that. Well, and, and you just did such a, such a great job. And I think you really got to the heart of it, right? And that, like, dogs are, animals are always present, right? And and we hope that when we're doing theater, right, that everyone on stage is always present. But right. but an animal, when you're, you're yeah, you don't have to fall back on those lines or on the right. character, <laughs> the psychology, right? And so your job is just to be there and to be, to mm. not try to steal focus, but also just to be, and I think you did a really good job of both making you know strong choices and, and, and getting the audience on your side, but also just being really honest and yeah, and in the moment in a way that felt felt very zen and very um, very awesome. So well, it's a joy so to watch. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for bringing your work to Portland. Thank you. As always, you can find the full catalog of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. If you have questions or would like to reach out, feel free to reach out to our email, which is radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com. Or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.